Rob Stringer is arguably one of the most influential figures in the music industry. He's currently the chairman of Sony Music Group, helping look after successful and iconic artists, including Adele, Calvin Harris, Beyonce, Harry Styles, Shakira, Pharrell Williams, George Michael, Bob Dylan, ACDC and The Clash. Rob has been in the music industry for well over three decades and is known for his artist-friendly approach and his unique ability to spot talent and nurture success. In fact, in the same week that we're recording this interview, three major Sony music artists won awards at the UK Brits for British group, British single and male solo artist. Rob has had his own leadership recognised, including being awarded the UJA Federation of New York's Music Visionary of the Year in 2013, Music Week Strat Award in 2014, and the Music Industry Trusts Award in 2017. Rob is also a director and shareholder in Luton Town Football Club, but given I support their arch rivals Watford, we're not going to talk about that. It's a real pleasure to welcome you onto Brits and the Big Apple. Thank you so much for being with us today. Great. I'm, I'm glad it's not Brits and Watford. That would be a really dull podcast, Hannah. It really would be. Outrageous. I, uh, I, I beg to uh, differ. Um, <laughs> tell us about how you got into the music industry and, and what you enjoy most about your work. Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a, well, that's a double question. I mean, first off, um, when I was um, at college, um, I became a social secretary at Goldsmiths College, which is a, a sort of liberal arts college in Southeast London. And one of the entries into the music business at that point was by being the entertainment secretaries um, for your college. And, and a lot of people followed that route into the music industry. Um, and I saw an advert in a London student newspaper saying that CBS Records at the time was looking for graduate trainees. And that was me. I was unqualified to do everything else, but I was totally qualified to do that. Wow. And, and how, how um, did you end up in New York? Tell us oh, how well you that, got here. That, that, that's, that's a long, I mean, I've been with, um, it used to be called CBS Records and now it's Sony, but I've been with the same company over 35 years. So, um, I sort of graduated up the company in the UK, um, sort of by default, and um, and uh, ended up running the UK company. Uh, and then um, I got asked to come and run uh, a label group, including Columbia Records, here in New York, um, fifteen years ago. So so I've been here for fifteen years now, and. Um, and now, you know, running the company globally, but still from New York, because that's where the, the, the base of the company is. Um, and what is it about New York that you particularly enjoy? What is it that has kept you here for all this time? Um, well, I mean, I've been coming here since the mid 70s. My brother lived here for 40 years. Actually, longer, fifty years maybe. Um, but but and the fact is that so I always had an affinity family-wise in New York. Um, I loved coming here in the seventies. It was like colourful and technicolour, edgy, and London and England was sort of grey and um, quite gloomy in that time period. You know, it was the time of power cuts and 
three day weeks and, you know, bomb attacks. And, you know, it was an odd place, England in the mid seventies. So coming to England, you know, coming to America just on holiday was, was a revelation, especially New York, because I love New York now. New York was arguably even more fascinating then because it was, it was so fast and pacey and, and as I said, edgy. Um, and as a 12 year old, when I first came here and then pretty much every consecutive summer um, for the next few years, you don't, you don't fear anything. You're, you're just alive to the, the senses that this city brings out in you. And, um, and when I eventually moved in with my family, I was 43 and New York's changed a lot since the mid seventies um, because, uh, because it's become gentrified and because Manhattan is, you know, you know, is a rich property empire. So it's a different city to when I first came, but it still has enough excitement and it still has enough energy. And, and you, you walk out of your front door each day and you still, I still feel like I'm in a, I'm on a movie set. I still feel that, except I'm not. I'm in a real living, breathing city that, that is now my home. It's got an incredible buzz to it, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, the buzz was different. I mean, even when I was coming, I mean, I, when, when I became a, a late teenager, a teenager in my later years, I used to go to a lot of shows, a lot of um, club shows, and, 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 and it was, you know, those areas then in Manhattan were not areas you'd always go. Um, now those areas are, you know, expensive property-wise, but, but, but that was sort of, that music scene at that time in New York pretty much colored my taste that became useful when I actually moved here because I loved the music of um, um, the Talking Heads and the Ramones and Blondie and television and also the sort of soul and funk that was coming out of New York City's club scene. And, and that sort of base of taste has sort of stood me in good stead, really, even sort of 40 mm. years later. Mm. Um, and I was going to ask you about um, the New York scene and, and I guess creativity more broadly and the role of music in helping shape culture and connections. I mean, particularly in the context of the US and UK, but can you talk to us a bit about the role that music plays in um, in, in the culture of, of societies? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think that, I think New York, and I think London is like this too. New York is a melting pot of culture. So for that to be a melting pot of culture, you know, there, there has to be music because, because art is, is really the, to my mind, the bloodstream of popular culture. And so, and so the music of this city is fascinating. I mean, I'm sort of read hundreds of books on this stuff. I'm fascinated by even the time periods before, before I first came here and eventually moved here. But, but, but the city became a, multi, a melting pot of people from all over the world. And then you blend that music together and you get some sort of form of sort of uh, alchemy that, that you might not have in other cities. And I very much feel like London has that too. But um, um, London, if anything, more recently in London, but, but certainly New York, I mean, that goes back right back to really, you know, jazz clubs in the 30s, blues clubs, you know, where it was very hard for jazz and blues to be played in the South where it came from because, because of racial segregation. So New York became a place that was okay for, for, for that music to live and breathe. And then 
further down the line, then you get into the, you know, the folk era, which sort of stemmed from Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger that Bob Dylan sort of made famous because of Greenwich Village. And then you move on and you have the Bowery, which was really about CBGBs and the New York New Wave scene, interspersed with, you know, then the birth of hip hop in the hip hop in the Bronx and, and Latin music and Spanish Harlem. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, there are books written on this for a reason. And I, I kind of soaked all that up. You know, I found that I find it still incredibly exciting. Um, and, and, I, and I think that even now, because music is a very mature, popular music is a mature art form. But the, the fact is that, that, it, that it's a blend now. Nothing's purist, really. Most music, particularly with the advent of hip hop, is a blend. And, um, and I think New York very much um, contributed to, that, to that, that mixture and formula of music for the past 50 years. That's, that's really fascinating. Um, and, and you're right, there are so many different genres of music here. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and Americans love of British music as well. Can you talk to us about the connection there? I mean, is that, is that a unique co connection between the two countries? Or is it just that some of the best music comes from the US and the UK and therefore it's an obvious connection? The, the obvious invasion was the Beatles. You know, and and the Beatles opened the door for British music because I'm not really sure British music mattered here before the Beatles. I mean, you know, we copied American music. So we'd have band leaders that would be swing band leaders in the UK that sounded like swing from America. And we didn't really have exports of music at that time. But the Beatles started it. They really did, you know. I mean, obviously, classical composers and previous chapters, but but the Beatles started that invasion. And, and I don't think it's really stopped that. It's, you know, I mean, there's been periods of time when British music has struggled in America and there's been periods of time when it blossomed. I mean, you know, for example, the, you know, the, the, the sort of progressive rock of the 70s was a very British movement um, following the Beatles. You know, artists like Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and artists like that and obviously Pink Floyd. And then, and then, then you had punk rock, which matched American New Wave, because arguably American New Wave came first, but British punk rock sort of bounced off the New York Dolls and Iggy Pop and Patti Smith and stuff like that. But then, then you had the 80s as well, where, where sort of shiny electronic pop was very much a British export with Culture Club and, um, and Duran Duran and, um, you know, uh, those kind of soft sell and those kind of artists. And so we've had waves and, and there's been waves that have been embraced by America and there's been waves that haven't, you know, and, and at the moment, you know, we have our superstars and, you know, you saw from the recent Grammys, you have Dua Lipa and Harry Styles and we have global superstars like that. But, but at the moment, through the streaming distribution platforms, music is quite localized. So, so the music doesn't necessarily travel from the UK to the US, the same way as it did even two years ago, never mind five or 10, 15 years ago. So, so I think it goes in waves. I mean, you know, this isn't, this isn't a boom time for British music in America. It's not a boom time. Things can obviously break through. And as I said, there will always be big pop superstars coming from the UK because we love pop culture so much in the UK. We breathe and live pop culture. But, but in terms of genres, um, it's a, it's a relatively quiet time for British music in America. Mm, that's really that's really interesting. Um, 
And uh, interesting also that the Beatles essentially were the sort of the, the start for that. I used to live down the road from the uh, Abbey Road studios and would always get quite frustrated at the amount of tourists that would come and uh, take their yeah. pictures on the uh, uh, on the zigzag. But um, I lived I mean, in Abbey Gardens, by the way, so I saw that oh, every day driving to work. Another connection. Get quite emotional. I loved Abbey Gardens. I lived in Abbey Gardens, so I actually driving to work. I stopped for those tourists crossing that zebra crossing every day, virtually. I mean, quite right too. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful part of the world. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about um, talent and nurturing talent. And I mean, you've talked about the importance of the, um, the export between the UK and the US, but what, can you tell us from, from your huge experience, what, what makes a successful artist? And, and, and I, I guess from what you've been saying, actually, maybe that's changed over the years, but what do you look for? Yeah, I mean, it has changed because, uh, you know, the Beatles were pioneers. Um, and, and so now it is, you know, there's, there's a lot of musical content to, to take influence from. And, and so it's, it's, I think it's sort of harder to be brand new, you know. But, 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 but look, I, I you know, I, 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 I sort of, my direction has always been really to try and, dig deep for artistic vision. Um, and my favorite artists I've always worked with have always been artists with impeccable vision. Um, I mean, obviously pop can be formulaic and pop music can be novelty value and pop music can be, um, you know, can be almost color by numbers, but still important. But, but the, my, my, my personal direction, my career has always been to seek out people with strong artistic vision and, you know, maybe not just one good idea, but maybe lots of good ideas. And I've been very fortunate, especially in a big company like the one I work for, to be able to work with those artists and, and to learn off them. I mean, it's not, you know, every day you learn doing this job, there isn't a right way of doing anything. I, I can wake up in the morning and something can work that I may not have expected to, or something can, doesn't work because, you know, it's like constructing a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle sometimes, you know, there's a thousand pieces going to something working in the right, in the right way. So, so my, my starting point is, I know how to do most things. I've worked for a very big company, global company for a long, long time, but I, you know, I look for that artistic vision, you know, and, um, and my adaptation from the UK to the US, um, hopefully, I was able to make that leap because I had an understanding of that, of what might, what might be that vision for an artist. Mm. Can, you, can you tease that out a bit more with a couple of examples over the years of artists that you think have really resonated to a US audience? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't tend to think when I work with people as to whether they fit somewhere. Sometimes it's much more exciting to say, does not do they fit somewhere? Do they, does the audience and the culture fit with them? Mm. You know, it, it, it's, I mean, you know, if you work with, you know, I mean, I, in the latter stages of their career, I worked with The Clash. And if you look at The Clash, and then I worked with Big Audio Dynamite after that, but, you know, you fitted around The Clash. The Clash didn't fit in with what was going on. I mean, they didn't make any compromises to, you know, America, you know, Germany, the UK, Australia, they didn't, they, they, they were, they were different. And so therefore you had to fit your thinking and around their vision. 
um, which was incredibly exciting. And if you look back on it, at the time, some of it seemed mad, but if you look back on it with a body of work that's now 40 years old plus, they were right. You know, and, and, and that process is incredibly exciting to me. And I've been able to be lucky to be on the receiving end of that, you know, quite a few times. And I've worked with brand new artists that have, have had a, a pretty clear cut knowledge of, of what they wanted to be. And therefore we had to magnify that. Um, you know, Adele was very clear cut who she was at 19 years old. And, 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 and even though she was on a journey and she was learning, she was, she was incredibly well-defined in who she was. Uh, and, 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 you know, in, in, with a remarkable degree of talent. And that's the other thing, of course, which is important. You have to be pretty talented to last. You can, you can get away with having, a, you know, a cool song or a, or a nice pop jaunty, you know, jingle, but to last a while, you've got to be pretty talented in this business. And, you know, I mean, we have artists on our roster that have been on the roster 70 years, you know, and still making records. So, you know, we're used to the longevity that that talent causes. And, you know, I mean, eventually talent kicks in, you know, I mean, it's not always about anything that we do. It's really about what the artist is able to, mm. is able to, to, to devise musically and content wise over many decades to, to, to say something special. And, you know, as I said, I'm lucky enough to work with artists that are, are definitely in that bracket, you know. Mm. Um, and um, thinking about new talent, um, I know that there are various schemes and foundations out there, including the PRS Foundation in the UK, which I think our Department for International Trade supports, but what more can we do to support UK homegrown talent? and? I guess as a side question to that, what 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 role can government play as well in in supporting the music industry? Well, I mean, you know, I think we've had this chat before, Hannah. At the end, at the end of the day, you know, British music is an incredible export. You know, it, 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 British music is is an industry. You got to you got to see it as as if you're exporting, you know, raw goods or steel. You are exporting our art is is important and. You know, I look at other countries, there are lots of lots of funding and lots of tax breaks and lots of sort of arts based foundations that promote the 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 basis of music, because, you know, it, it's it's a tremendous export for Britain and actually, quite frankly, a tremendous advert for Britain. You know, I think, you know, the likes of whatever the superstars, whether it's going back to the 70s of David Bowie and Elton John and Queen and look how that music still resonates now or now with, like I said, you know, the other day, Dua Lipa and Harry Styles both won Grammys and Brits. You know, we should be proud of that and we should be doing everything we can to fund the development of the future stars. And, you know, and, and we're involved in that in particularly in London because, um, you know, uh, hip hop and rap in, 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 in major cities in, England is so important, but it requires development on a funding point of view to, to, to build those stories for those kids coming out of those communities. So, so quite honestly, there's never enough that can be done. We can do more and we're working very hard to do that. And, and governments, quite frankly, whatever their country in, should support arts. You should, why wouldn't you? Music is, is something that resonates everywhere in the world and, and as the UK we should be an ex uh, an exporter of that feeling in the best possible way mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. And um, I mean, it's just incredible how much name recognition, you know, uh, your artists get over here. I mean, mm -hmm. you can you can give me the figures on Adele, but, you know, um, there's much more name recognition for our musical artists than there is for a lot, a lot of our other um, sectors in the UK. Yeah. So and, and, and that's and quite. And by the way, as it should be, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's the income revenue for for an Ed Sheeran or an Adele or those kind of artists in the past half a decade is extraordinary. You know, so we have to celebrate that. And actually, I think we do a pretty good job at celebrating the UK. You know, we tend to find a reason to knock them down as well, which is a very British cynical trait. But, but the, the weird thing is in America, when those artists become successful, they are revered, you know, and, and, uh, and, they're, and they're loved. And, you know, and it's been an interesting contrast coming to America from the UK after so many years in the business that, you know, though I feel those artists are loved here just as much as they are in the UK. They really are. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask about um, the direction of travel as a music industry and you, you briefly touched on it earlier when you talked about streaming um, but streaming now accounts for I think around 80% of US recorded music revenue so it, it's huge and presumably it's it's only going to grow and just interested in your views on what what does the future of the music industry look like? Well, I mean, I think the future of the music industry is very bright as long as we, I mean, I believe fully investing back in talent. I mean, you know, uh, it, it, it's lovely that we're very profitable and that's all great. I mean, I've been through up and down periods where we haven't been profitable and there's been great art come from that process. So, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, very happy that the profit margins are good, but I'm also interested in, in artistic culture surviving properly. And, um, you know, this chapter is very much, you know, a tech driven era. Um, and my job, I think, to some degree, is to make sure the art balances up against the tech. And, and if, if it's only tech driving the art, that will be short lived because tech changes. And, you know, we've I, just since I've been in the business, it's gone from vinyl to cassettes to CDs to downloads to streaming. You know, I mean, there have been so many iterations that 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 changes. What my concern is, in my capacity uh, of running the company, is to make sure that the art has room to breathe and that music has um, the ability to still astound in the same way. Um, you can you, you can you can have metrics now that really are based on just technology. So th those metrics are fine, but the metrics I'm interested in are are also based on uh, artistic quality. And, 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 and that's a balance that we've got to constantly find in, in this chapter of the business. In 10 years time, how do you think people are going to be listening to their music? I mean, it's probably quite hard to predict, but do you have any sense of, I mean- Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we have a sense of, I mean, streaming is pretty robust, but streaming, the, the derivations of streaming are going to be different. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with new platforms every every day. I mean, you know, for instance, TikTok can really break records now because young people listen to music on TikTok in short, sharp bursts, and then they, they seek out the, the longer versions of that music, which is great. You know, I mean, it's like they want to listen to records like that. I think that's fabulous. You know, I'm not Luddite in my approach. I don't want everybody to sit and listen to 
music on vinyl from 1972. I think it's great if they do, but you've got to look forward, you know, and, and, and we're just every day dealing with a slight modification to what might be a consumption of music. So, and the other thing to tie in with that, which will again change the face of how people consume music, is that the whole world is, is now accessible. So, so, you know, we spend an enormous amount of time in emerging markets like China, India, we, um, you know, we have a huge um, uh, influx of fantastic talent from Latin America, which after the CD era was really bogged down by piracy to a great degree. And now that streaming is, has opened up those markets, um, we're getting significant numbers of um, streams from a, really a, a music loving continent. But we're also getting a tremendous amount of talent from, from that. And that talent was always there, but piracy sort of blocked it for a while. But now we've got arguably Latin America has the best you know, levels of talent anywhere in the world coming from, from that region. So you know, we're constantly eyes wide open and ears wide open to, to judge where there might be a shift. And that might be in technology and that might be in musical genres and, you know, we, we were probably very complacent for the first 50 years of the business because everything didn't change that much. Now it feels like it's changing every year, you know? So, so we, we have to be a bit more, you know, sharp really. And, and, and quite rightly, we, complacency is not something that would be a, a, a common word in our, in our vocabulary right now. Um, I know you're really passionate and focused on social justice issues. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in the aftermath of events last summer mm -hmm. here in the US. Mm -hmm. And I know that Sony Music is doing a huge amount supporting and developing black artists. Um, can you tell us more about that work and your focus here? Well, I think the, the truth is you can never do enough. You know, I mean, I have people who work for me in, in really good areas of the company and work with me on all the initiatives. And, you know, they're quite rightly saying that this isn't something you fix in six months or six years. You know, it might be something you fix in a century. Um, and we have a, a responsibility because, you know, there are previous generations of my business, like many other businesses, they're exploited black culture. And, and, and so we need to redress that balance. And so we're doing that. You know, I mean, you know, you cannot get the perfect plan. This is a, a long term historical um, movement and we need to be good at it. And that needs to flow through our employees and our staff. And it needs to employ through to the to the music that we uh, that we promote, uh, black music is the predominant musical culture of this of this of this uh, era, and we have to balance that out. And 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 however we can do that, whether it be on a micro level or on a macro level, we are trying to do that. You know, it's not easy because because we have a lot to make up for. But 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 you know, I think we have an obligation to to do that. So. So that's the thinking behind any strategies we might have. Mm. And um, I mean, music is such an incredible unifier as well. Yeah. As you said to yourself, I mean, music is part of the solution here in, yeah. in and of itself as well. No, I mean, music is healing, inspiring, you know, it's capable of it, it sort of prompting change. So, so um, you know, uh, we, we, have, we have that responsibility and I, and I take that responsibility very seriously. Hopefully that will be part of the legacy I have, that we will get more of that right in, in terms of our approach to, to, to social movements and, and culture. 
And, and finally, what, what next for Sony? What, what can we be looking forward to that's coming down the track? Well, as I said, I mean, no, I, I listen to music now from all over the world. Obviously, I listen to music from Britain because I'm from there and I, and, you know, and I understand pretty much how the business, I mean, I haven't been there, you know, lived there for 15 years. I go back to it a lot because, because I love England and I'm proud to be English. But, but the fact is that, that music comes from anywhere now. And we've got hits from all over the world. You know, we, we distribute BTS from Korea and we have hits from Colombia or New Zealand or, or Russia. We have hits from everywhere. So, so, so we really are sort of looking everywhere for that, for, that, for that sort of nugget or that gem that might work. I mean, you know, as I said, Latin America is... Is, is a very, very strong area of um, global musical prowess right now. In the 100 Spotify tracks each week, there are probably 25 tracks from Latin America, you know, which is dramatic. Um, there aren't 25 tracks in the UK at the moment. Um, so, so, you know, it's my business is totally global, really global. And, um, and there's no passport controls on the Internet the same way as there was you know, 10 years ago even. So, so the fact is music does come from anywhere and I have to be really cognizant of that fact. Well, it's an incredibly exciting time. Um, Rob Stringer, thank you so much for coming on Brits and the Big Apple. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And we didn't even have to deal with the Luton-Watford dynamic. So well done to us. We didn't have to deal with it, Hannah, because we beat you a month ago. That's why we did. <laughs> you may be going up to the Premier League, but on one tenth of the salaries, we still beat you. Come on, you hatters. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Pleasure. Lovely to talk to you, Anna. You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, brought to you by the British Consulate in New York. If you'd like to hear more about the work of the British Consulate, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at UK in New York. Thank you for listening.